Well, hello to our pod fam around the world. Woo-hoo. We are back recording live from Mission Bible in sunny Orange County, California. Sunny, my love. I'm pretty sure it's uh, raining outside. Yes, I guess it is. Well, we are praying you are yes. enjoying a most blessed week. Uh, sunny week. Okay, before we jump in, I've got <laughs> to share this button we're going to be using today. I have been holding on to this for a long time, waiting for the right pod. So let me count this down. Ready? You're going to love this. Three, two, one. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Some sounds just say it all, right? Well, that works because we are tackling something today that we've all felt in our marriage, discontentment mm-hmm. in our marriage. And I can personally testify I that. I don't know what you're talking about, but I just want to know, I've never had such a thought. Oh, never been discontent love. in this marriage. Super happy. Just lying. Yeah. O- over the years, we've <laughs> talked with many couples, many women who've grown discontent with their marriage. Sometimes it's physical stuff and how they look or change or the bedroom or whatever. Sometimes it's social, snoring, clothing styles, long hours at work. Most often it's emotional, internal desires. They don't feel are met or not communicated. And it's not always about the spouse. Sometimes for us gals, it surrounds our kids and how they're behaving or treating one another in the home or doing in school. That's true. And for men, salary, car we drive, um, friendship, testosterone level, whatever, all these things that lead to burnout, discontentment until we're driving a Lambo, cruising PCH and in a midlife crisis of some kind. So things like that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay. Before we start, a book that we're going to be hitting a ton today is Thomas Watson's Art of Divine Contentment. It's only seven bucks on Amazon. And so consider going out and buying a copy. There's one in modern English. Make sure you get that one. And then when we reference it, everyone will know what we're talking about. And can I just say, if anyone is going to pick one book for this year to read, let it be that one. Wow. You've heard it here first. From Beautiful Brie, if there's one book, she said, (laughs) this is the one and I would concur. You ready, my love? Yes. Ethan, you ready? Let's go. Okay, date night fam. My wife is giving me a weird look. What did I do wrong? No, it just sounded like Ricky's Spanish was like much longer than normal. Oh. It felt different to me. Okay, well, if anyone would know, it'd be you. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) Longer Spanish today from Ricky on something recorded in 1958. So if you're oh, yeah. thinking, by the way, Date Night Fam, you're thinking you're hearing this topic on discontentment and you're going, why this? You know, big deal. So I'm a little dissatisfied. What's the issue? Let me just start by gently tapping that leg out from under the chair there because yes, it's true. We don't hear discontentment mentioned much in church, but it is an absolute thief that robs our joy and we need to talk about it more. Jeremiah Bro says, discontent is to our soul what disease is to the body. It's like a cancer that destroys the inside so that all all the rest slowly breaks mm. down. And I would say it's something that's hereditary, meaning if we're around discontent people or are raised in a negative home, or maybe you are on social media all the time, and certainly in our advertising culture, like we're all in right now, where the bad stuff is always being pointed out, it is super easy to basically live your entire life discontent and not even notice it. Totally. You and I have talked about this many mm-hmm. times. Everything from how we felt about our home, to our cars, to our jobs, the kids, all the way to even how my old hand hands look nowadays. <laughs> I embrace the crow's feet and gray hair, but uh, the hands, that caught me I totally guard. had that thought the other day too about my hands, not your hands. I actually was looking down <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I was like, wow, that's really weird. Those are old guy hands. Oh my. And I think that's a great place to start for you and for me and for anyone listening um, is just take a moment. Let's all get silent, get honest, and really chew on whether we have those little seeds of dissatisfaction somewhere in our heart. So how can we define it, my love? Discontentment. 
Um, let me first give the old, beautiful Puritan definition from Burroughs. He says, quote, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, meaning contentment, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition, end quote. So that's kind of hard to understand. Here's the more modern Webster's version, quote, discontentment is a lack of satisfaction with one's stuff, status, or situation. What should we try to visualize? Well, let's all, just State Night family, everyone listening, reflect on each of those categories that we just read from Webster's. Number one is our stuff, like house, cars, money, travel. And then number two is status, like our popularity, notoriety, fame, influence, or whatever. And then thirdly is our situation. So marriage, kids, friends, um, specific to our sociological reality. And let's take a second to pray over each of those, examine our heart, and just see if there's an area or two where we are dissatisfied, or to quote Burroughs, unsubmitted to God's fatherly disposal. Oh, I love that. Does this include healthy dissatisfaction, like providing for family or defeating a sin? No, no. The exceptions here would be spiritual and family care. So if you can't find a good church or you can't feed your family or something, anything that you know is in God's word, then those would be things that you do want to be thinking about. Um, But anything other than that, we can play some Jeopardy music here in a sec. We'll take a few moments and see if there's anything kind of rooting around down in there where we're anxious, unhappy, frustrated with what God has done or given, and then we'll try to work it out over the course of the next few moments. So let's play a little bit of Jeopardy music and go. Makes me want to sing. You are discontent in your heart or You coming up with anything? Yes. Okay, me too. Alright, kill it, Ethan. Alright, do you have anything? Yes, just this morning, as you know, I usually have my phone on work mode during homeschooling hours. And if there's an emergency, people know they can call twice to get through. But otherwise, it keeps me focused on schooling the kids and the needs of the home during those hours. Well, this morning you called. I checked my phone and saw that a few text messages had come through and I found myself in this tension. Discontent because I wanted to look at all the messages rather than going back to schooling Zeke. Mm. But I think so that's what came to mind first. So you discontent with what? Either the fact that you had I had to people... go back in school, Zeke. Mm, okay. Yeah. A what thought, about you? A thought that I had a couple of weeks back was discontent over our floorboards in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> we only had 20 seconds there and how they're splitting from the water. And I know it sounds lame, but for like a week, I've walked onto those in the kitchen and I felt my flesh get riled up because they creak and they crack. And it's like... I don't know. Anyway, you and those floorboards. I know because every, every we've been in. <laughs> place we've ever been in, I feel like I've been cursed with bad floorboards. So anyway, <laughs> let me give a lesson, and I'm hoping everyone else is thinking about this. Who's ever listening out there? You know, we want you to think about it too. So let me give the lesson of contentment first, and this will be really brief, just one verse and a principle. I'm pulling it from Hebrews thirteen five, which says, "Let our character be free from the love of money, being content with what we have." And then very interestingly, the author of Hebrews adds, for he himself has said, meaning Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Greek, there has five negatives, meaning never, ever, never, absolutely ever will I leave you or forsake you. So the author of Hebrews says, lasting contentment isn't ever based in a possession. He says the only way to have contentment is to understand it's based in a person. The only way we'll ever be content is when we embrace Jesus, who is forever enough and forever with us. And even when the material things of life begin to decay, or relationships get strained, or we struggle with loss or illness or whatever, Christ won't leave. 
And that's the foundation stone of contentment. So just a couple of quotes to kind of drive that home. Spurgeon says, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven if we would have it, but it will not grow by nature. It must be cultivated, end Mm. quote. Tozer adds, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. And Spurgeon says again, it is not in how much we have, but in how much we enjoy that brings true lasting happiness. Why do you think contentment is so elusive? Well, I think it's elusive because it shapeshifts so quickly. It's like one of those villains in a Marvel movie. I mean, it's like you go after one thing that I think is going to make me happy, and then it didn't work, and then I go after another one, another one, and pretty soon I'm even unhappier because of the quest that I'm on. And it actually reminds me of the old story. This is an old preaching illustration, but the two teardrops are floating down the river of life, and this actually, Ethan, get ready, may require one of those wah-wah sounds. <laughs> one teardrop then looks over and says to the other, who are you? And then the teardrop says, well, I'm a teardrop from the girl who loved a man and lost him. Him. And then the teardrop says, well, who are you? And the other teardrop says, well, I'm the teardrop from the girl who actually got him. <laughs> anyway, That's good. Kind of lame. Do you think this is why there's so much divorce? Oh, sure. Absolutely. A divorce would be a huge um, outworking of discontentment, but also everything else, consumer debt that we're in, a uh, high rate of mobility where people don't stay at the same home or job or church for more than a couple years anymore. Uh, And so much of all that is predicated on trying to quell dissatisfaction, and it just never works. And so we jump from thing to thing to thing. We never have anything lasting, and it's all chasing things that we can't ever find. Um, I'm more and more convinced the entire world lives in just one of two camps. Like, basically, you could have the content camp and then the discontent camp. Um, Because contentment isn't having everything we want, it's enjoying everything that we have. Mm. And so people are either in one or the other, like old Ben Franklin said, um, what did he say? Contentment makes poor men rich, and discontentment makes rich men poor. So true. It's true. It's just just a lifestyle. It's how we live and how we view things. So how does that look in daily life? Like, How would you explain it to a 20-year-old? Um, I'd say simply put, it's just being happy in your situation, content in your situation because of what God's doing. So like if you're driving a Beamer, um, you're just as happy driving a Beamer as you are a Corolla. Uh, in both cases, you got a ride, um, or this, you have the same pleasure in a million dollar home or a two bedroom apartment, because in both cases you have a roof over your head. Um, you know, gratitude, if you're at Morton's eating a filet or, um, Wiener schnitzel eating a hot dog, although that's might kill you um, because you're not starving. Um, gladness with a $400 pair of jeans or a clearance, you know, racket Ross because you have clothes to wear. I mean, it's just peace knowing that the Lord's met your needs today and, and also has a plan for tomorrow. Amen. That's how I define it. So good. Well, here's, I think, let's make a turn now from the lesson to what we can call the objections to contentment. I think this is where things get interesting um, because we all know, Date Night Family, that life can be very cruel. And naturally, there's a part of us that says, hey, I'm fine being content in the normal times, but in the really tough times, I'm not so sure. You know, kind of like, hey, Team Wood, my son has leukemia here, or mm-hmm. my wife isn't a Christian. I mean, come on, guys. And it's true. Life is so hard. Mm-hmm. We get that. And we hear you. We understand the Lord might have you in affliction that feels too heavy right now. And that's why we're doing this pod. We want to. We want you to know we care and that we're praying. Yes, 100% yes, but it's vital that we remember no matter how difficult life is, the Lord still demands our trust. So what we're going to do here is we're going to fly over some of the objections to contentment, some of the big ones that Thomas Watson puts down in his little book that we mentioned. Now, obviously, we're updating them so just for speed and for um, you know basic understanding and comprehension. Um, and if you're going through something that makes it hard to be content, 
Um, see if Watson doesn't hit a bullseye or close to your situation. And then we'll do these quickly for the sake of time. Uh, and then basically Bree will read them off and then I'll try to give Watson's commentary. So why don't you go ahead and begin reading them off, my love. These are the objections to contentment. Okay. Objection to contentment number one is I'd like to be content, but I've lost my child. Mm. That's a tough one. But if that's you, listen to Watson's response. He says, quote, we must be content when God gives gifts and when he takes them. Perhaps God has taken away the pond in order to give you more of the spring. Perhaps by taking the child, he will show you more of himself. Think about your child. If he was in rebellion, you have not so much parted with a child than with a burden, and you grieve for what might have been an even greater grief. Or if your child were a Christian, do not be discontent that you have parted from such a child, but rather rejoice that you had such a child to part with. Break forth with thankfulness. What an honor it is to be a parent, a child whose life increases the joy of glorified angels now and passes into the number of saints. So beautiful. Objection to contentment number two. It reads, I have experienced great financial loss. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. If that's you and you're listening going, man, finances are tight. Um, I had a lot and now it's gone. Watson says, quote, God has taken your estate, but remember, he's not taken your eternity. Mm. Consider a man who is worth billions. If he should lose a button from his jacket, this is not part of his portfolio and he isn't upset. Likewise, for a Christian, the loss of worldly comforts is like the loss of a button to a billionaire. Perhaps if your estate had not been lost, your soul would have been. Outward comforts often quench inward zeal. So be content if God dams up your outward comforts so that the stream of your love runs faster toward heaven. Amen. An objection to contentment number three, my spouse is an unbeliever. Yeah, and that's a possible and a pretty good objection. But Watson writes one more, quote, It is sad to have the living and the dead tied together. Yet do not let your heart fret. Mourn for his sin, but do not murmur, for God has placed you in this marriage, and God is able to make you gain by your husband's sin. Perhaps you would never have been so good if he had not been so bad. The fire burns hottest in the coldest climates. And God, often by a divine reversal, turns the sins of others to our good and makes our maladies our medicines. Often, the more sinful the husband is, the more holy the wife then becomes. Wow. Mm, really good. Wow. Okay, objection to contentment number four is, my friends betray me. Yep, and I'll guarantee there's somebody listening going, my friends have hurt me bad. I've been stabbed in the back. I, I'm in pain. Watson says, quote, it is sad when a friend betrays, but a Christian may often see his own sin in his betrayal. Have you not dealt treacherously with God? How often have you grieved the Spirit? How often have you abused love or built an idol? Look at the unkindness of your friend and then mourn for your own unkindness against God. Has your friend proven treacherous? Perhaps you rested too much confidence in him or her. Perhaps Christ is reminding you that he is the ultimate loving friend, caring friend, prudent friend, faithful friend, and the only constant friend. So good. <laughs> I know it is. Objection to contentment number five. I am not honored or respected. Mm, this is a good one. This will be our last one, I think. Watson says, I don't feel honored and respected. Does this trouble you? The world is a biased judge, full of hot air and partiality. 
The best worth is that which is inside a man, and it is better to deserve respect and not have it than to have it and not deserve it. Do you have grace, meaning are you saved? Well, then God respects you. So let the world think what it will. Let this bring you to peace and contentment. No matter how the world looks down on you, if you are in Christ, God thinks well of you. It is better that God approves than that man applauds. Amen. End quote. <laughs> How many more objections does he give in here? He goes on, I suffer for truth or the wicked prosper or I lack talent. I loved that mm-hmm. one. Or the culture is winning and the church suffers. Yeah. And those are all obvious objections mm-hmm. to why we would say I don't need to be content. We don't have time to go into all of them. Can I just point out that he keeps coming back to the same point. Afflictions aren't for our bad, but for our good. And I just want everyone listening, especially all the ladies, to understand that we can be content in the hard times because we can be content with his plan. Afflictions are are for our chastisement. Afflictions teach us humility. Afflictions are for our refining, our purifying, and preparing eternal weight of glory beyond what we can imagine. Come on. So everyone, please pick up the book that we're recommending and read two to three pages per night or in the morning during devotion time or whatever, and just watch. Within a week or two, your understanding of God will grow on the inside. And here's the beauty. Your view of life will change on the outside. And take the kids through it too. Last year, I took the kids through it for our breakfast study, just two to three pages a day, and we were so blessed. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and make the turn. Just one more thought here, especially for couples in the newlywed to midlife range. You know, if you're listening and you're looking at the life God's given you and wanting to trust him a little more to stop worrying, stop complaining, stop looking for the greener pastures, bigger home, better spouse, newer car, whatever... We want to provide a few steps that you can take as a couple to attain and enjoy divine contentment. So we'll move from the lessons of contentment, the objections of in or against contentment to advancing in our contentment. And these are things Tone and I are still working on. Mm -hmm. So we are on the journey with you. Yes, we are. We've narrowed them down to 10 and we're going to post these on Instagram, the 10 steps to advancing in contentment. Okay. The number one way to advance in contentment is by growing in the faith. Yeah. And this sounds totally obvious. I know everyone goes, oh, okay, we're back to the belief thing. Yes, but this is a key. Faith is what conditions the heart to quiet the passions. So what we have to do is pick a verse of scripture that speaks to this issue. An example would be the one I just read, Hebrews 13, 5, and memorize it. And every time that you sense discontent, greed, jealousy, envy, whatever, recite that verse and remember what he said. He'll never, ever leave you nor forsake you. The second way to advance in contentment is by being humble. Yep. A humble person is a content person. So make it a regular habit to pray and recite your unworthiness before God. And actually, this is key, men, I'm speaking to you, get on your knees. Get on your knees every morning and every night. And there's something about the physical action of getting on our knees that just has our heart reminded about the truth of all that we're not and all God is. And no matter what happens, you're going to be content when you're humble because you know even if your comforts are small, your sins are great, and heaven is coming, which is already way more than you or I deserve. The third way to advance in contentment is by keeping a clear conscience. Yep. Just like rotting food breeds maggots, gross, sin breeds discontent. 
So if you want to have a quiet and peaceful heart, you and I, we have to confess all of our sin. To God and our spouse, we've got to come clean. And the fourth way to advance in contentment is moderating delights. That's good. On this one, I'll read Watson. He says, quote, don't set your heart too much on any one object because whatever we over love, we will certainly over grieve. Amen. That is so true. If you think upon something, you dwell upon something, you delight in something of earth, then when it is gone, you're going to over grieve. Yes. And the fifth way to advance and contentment is keeping heaven in heart. And I cannot emphasize this one enough. The more we meditate on heavenly things, the less earthly things will harm us. You know, like the eagle flying in the air doesn't feel the sting of a serpent. The more we contemplate Christ's love and the more we put our contemplations and our affections in our heavenly home, the less power earthly stings will have. And the sixth way to advance in our contentment is to stay positive. (laughs) That's not Tony Robbins, you know, thumbs up, big smile, guru positive. We're simply saying there that God colors via providence our chessboard of life with both white and black spaces. And we all know that, right? And when you're in one of the dark spaces, the black spaces, we want to try to find the white lining. You know, for example, we talked about a child's death earlier. That's a very dark space. But the fact that our, for example, husband lives and leads remains a beautiful light. And so we have to spend our life looking for the graces of God. And that's what leads us through those moments of darkness in the valley of shadow. And number seven is consider the time. Simply put, we have to remember that earth is fleeting. I always picture it like we're in military service, you know, fighting an enemy we can't see in a land far away. But one day soon, the battle will be over, the bullets will be stopped, the tents will be packed, our armor set aside, our wages paid, and our mansion given, and then we're finally going to be home. And that's our lasting home. This is not it, so don't look at this world that way. Oh, I can't wait. I know, me too. The eighth way we advance contentment is to compare our condition. Yes, and there's two ways to do this. This means simply open up your eyes and look around. Number one is compare your condition to what you and I really deserve, which is hell. Mm -hmm. And often that'll do the trick. (laughs) We kind of go, okay, my life is really good. Heaven is coming. I don't deserve any of it. But also, here's another one. Consider comparing yourself to the rest of humanity. It's so easy to look around at those, in quote, who are above us, more wealthy, more ritzy, more elite. But what about all the beleaguered faces in the third world nations? Mm. Uh, Or everybody who lived through world wars or before medications or technology or the millions who died of the Black Death or scurvy or the hands of warring tyrants. It becomes really hard to complain of my small apartment when I reflect on everyone unjustly evicted from theirs. Yes, so, so good. And number nine is to focus on what we do have. Yep, one person dwells on what he can get, the other on what he can give. And 100% of the time, it's the person focused on what they can give who lives content. Last one. The 10th way to advance contentment is to study the inconsistent world. Yes, study the inconsistency of the world. I know everyone's going to yawn at me when I say this, but please listen. Just read a biography or two. Lloyd-Jones, Bonhoeffer, Churchill, Elliot Taylor, Ten Boom, whoever you want to read. And immediately it'll remind you that every society and culture is fleeting, it is disappearing, and it always promises more than you'll ever get and you can ever find. Every generation cries change, but it never does. Every government makes its promises, but never fulfills them. And providence is just like a tennis ball, you know, 
batting wealth and power back and forth from one dead hand to another, but the ball never settles and no one ever wins and no one ever takes victory with them. So just become aware of how inconsistent and shallow and fleeting the world is. Vanity Read. of vanity. That's what I was just going to say. wise preacher. <laughs> Solomon, not you, man. I was just going to say that. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Read Ecclesiastes. Absolutely. And let me just restate this again. I mentioned it right there at the top. Just as an exhortation, this is why we have to pray. And we have to pray and pray and pray some more. People go, why do I pray if God already knows what he's going to do? Listen, prayer is the, the, the experience of me coming to understand what it means to, to, to walk in the will of God. It's not as much me changing God as God changing me. And when I plead with God to work on my heart, he always does. Prayer is like the opening of a, a vein in the gold mine. You know, the gold mine, you know, where they have the, the guys and they're chiseling away. We pound at the door of heaven and the Lord gladly opens and the shining graces of God just begin to spill out. And it quiets our fears. It restores our convictions. It realigns our purposes. And all that happens through prayer. The strength of Christ is brought into the soul, reminding us again, like we talked about earlier, he will never, ever, 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 he will never leave us or forsake us. Jeremiah Bros concludes, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. You are my supply, my breath of life, still more awesome than I know. You are my reward worth living for, still more awesome than I know. You're my sacrifice of greatest price, still more awesome than I know. You're the coming king. You are everything still more awesome than I know, more than all I want, more than all I need. You're more than enough for me. Well, I know we're out of time, but we hope that this was helpful. And I just want to say that if you're in one of those valleys, if you're having the deep questions, the dark questions, the anxious questions, the the worrisome questions about your lot in life, about your situation or your status, please know that we're always here. So message us the prayer request and we'll try to respond. And if you're in the Orange County area, please come visit us at the church. Yes, please do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your son Jesus is more than enough. Our breath of life, our reward, our coming King, our everything. More than all we want and more than all that we need. So help us, Lord, to see our spouse and to see our kids and to see our home and our job and everything else in life through the lens of His great love and of His constant presence. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Dear Date Night fam, we will be back in 168 hours. A big thanks to Ethan, our producer, the blessed people of Mission Bible Church. Please be sure to leave us a review and find us on the Instagram, Date Night with the Woods. And most of all, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. 